This morning we're going to be in Acts 17, one of the most amazing and intriguing confrontations that you're going to find in the whole Bible, where you have the Apostle Paul interacting with some of the grand philosophers and polytheists and so on in the world, in this case, two major philosophies. And I think we can have some very good discussion. But let me uh, let me go to the first slide here, read the text and then pray, and then we'll begin. Acts 17, 18. And also, some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers were conversing with him. Some were saying, what would this idle babbler wish to say? Others, he seems to be a proclaimer of strange deities because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. So let's pray. Thank you, Lord, that we can gather today to study your word. May we have wisdom and understanding. May we teach clearly and help each other as we interact to learn better, to know and to understand. Give us grace and wisdom and pray for Eric as he preaches to us today that you'd use him also to proclaim the gospel in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, um, this one is pretty interesting. I'm really excited about it. And we're going to talk about Paul at what is sometimes called Mars Hill. And in fact, let me give you the, as long as I've got show and tell going on here. Can you see that? Okay, and up here, that is Parthenon, right there, that says Parthenon. This says Acropolis. I think that's the bigger area. The Agora is down here. Uh, the Agora is where a lot of the stuff happened. They debated. People sold things. People, all kind, everything happened here. But here's what's called Mars Hill. And um, let me read the caption, then we'll go back to Paul with the uh, philosophers. This photograph says, shows the relationship of Mars Hill to the Agora, down, down here, and the Acropolis. That's that word right there. The place where the Areopagus met is not certain. It had met in several different places in the preceding centuries, including the Royal Stoa. However, Areopagus means the hill of Ares. The Greek writer Lucian of Samosata, 2nd century AD, indicates this hill was used for jury trials. So this is the view that is where Paul's defense was made. We're not certain about that. But the bigger point is that the Bible is sober history, real places, real people, real ideas, historical. This is not myth. And so you can trust that the Bible is telling you the truth. Now, for our benefit, what's really exciting is we get to look in on it through the Bible. Wow, can you imagine the Apostle Paul, Jewish, 
uh, teacher converted by God's grace to understand Messiah is going to debate some of the brilliant philosophers of the world. We'll see how it goes. But uh, it says here, Epicurean and Stoic philosophers were conversing with him. So I'm going to cover this a little bit and tell you what some of these guys believed, and then we'll break down some of the Greek words and so on. Uh, I am blessed with fantastic resources. Recently, I got a, a new commentary on Acts by Dr. Schnabel, and it's really excellent. So let me uh, read some of what he says about the Epicureans. And Jessica, didn't you study some Greek? So she maybe can have some things to say too. So the Epicureans, he says, believed in that the cosmos is the result of accident, that the gods are atomic compounds like every other object, that the gods live an undisturbed life of happiness without interfering in the affairs of the world through providence, that purpose in the structure of living, living beings can be explained with the natural movement of atoms and the survival of the fittest, and that the criterion of the good life of mortal human beings is pleasure, which could be achieved by avoiding the competitive life, so much for most of us, right? <laughs> so much for Americans, with the distress of jealousy and failure, jealousy and failure, and by avoiding intense emotional commitments with the pain of emotional turmoil. That's just a summary. Dr. Schnabel of what the Epicureans believed. And so they weren't, I guess, superstitious polytheists. They were more philosophers. Did anybody know anything more about that? Otherwise, I'll go to the Stoics and where that came from, according to Dr. Schnabel. Zeno of Sidium on Cyprus, 335 to 256 B.C., studied in Athens, where he eventually taught his own philosophy in the Stoa. And again, this is, these are places in, where they debated things and taught. In the Stoa, where, where was I here? Here we go. The Stoa Poikile, the colonnaded hall from which his school received its name. Stoic, that's where that came from. Stoic logic was consistently empiricist, tracing knowledge from the impact that appearances from the outer world make on the human mind. Stoic physics explains the world in materialistic and deterministic ways. According to the Stoics and Stable's discussion of them, the world consists of material objects whose interaction are controlled by always valid laws or fate. Fate is ema, emar, mene. Mene is stay. I'm not sure what mayar is, but this is the way it's going to be. Fate. And in some ways, you see where some of the materialistic views that everything is. A, who, who is that guy that I read when I was in seminary? 
His view was everything, if you could just know the causes of everything, you could predict the outcome. Everything is determined by previous causes. There's no metaphysical anything. It's just atoms, molecules, this is what's happening. And it's going to be the way it is, except it. That's not exactly stoic, but that's similar. God is present, according to the Stoics, in the material world as an active principle, logos, acting on matter, the passive principle. God um, and is thus physically present in all matter as designing fire, pure technicon, the Greek words, or as spirit, pneuma. Nothing has existence outside the material world and its principles. There's no spiritual world as in popular superstition, no world of ideas, as in Plato. Everything happens according to providence, which is identified with fate. For the good of the world means that evil does not exist, and so on and so forth. So they had their philosophy. So this isn't exactly blind superstition, but it's very wrong. Okay? So they weren't necessarily going to say, great is Artemis of the Ephesians, and start a riot. They want to debate philosophy and ideas. So you had the Epicureans, pleasure, their philosophy, the Stoics, rationality. And so when you call somebody Stoic in English, what do you imply? What do you mean? Yeah, by the way, that mic goes on. And then there's one that will go around. We generally think of, you know, who I think of as Spock. Like, it's all logic. There's no emotions. But it was, you know, as, okay, I'll admit I hated the philosopher's unit of my Greek studies. Okay. (laughs) So, but... What you just brought up, though, is, is a really important point to understand in the context of this. I mean, we think of the Greek gods and all the mythologies and all of that, but even you know, 400 years before then, and, and going back through Plato, Plato and Socrates and Aristotle, they were already shifting away from that. And Socrates was even executed as an atheist for denying the Greek pantheon of gods in favor of one supreme god. Not that he had the right god, but he kind of had the right idea. And so even though we tend to think of of the Greeks as as having all of the mythologies and all the gods, which they did, by this time, that had all kind of fallen by the wayside in favor of philosophy. Okay, so there we go. So interesting, Paul had been in these other cities and they were dedicated to various deities. And then he comes to the philosophers that were Greek philosophers, and they had different ideas, and we can see what they were in studies of writings that are there. So that being said, let's go back to our verse. So here's the Epicurean, roughly, pleasure is the main thing, and Stoic, freedom from passion, this is generally how we understand that. Uh, they were conversing with him. That's what they did. And some were saying, what would this idle babbler wish to say? Others, he seems to be proclaimer of strange deities because he was preaching Jesus in the resurrection. So just imagine, isn't that something? 
polytheists, philosophers, great architecture, the, the place that is the center of culture in the ancient world. And here's Paul, a Jewish rabbi converted to Christ, preaching Jesus and the resurrection. So, um, I mentioned a few weeks ago when I was teaching Sunday school that the way some people in my lifetime have used this is utterly absurd, and I'm going to refute it. And the claim made by some charismatic teachers um, was, and others was Paul failed in Athens. He did the wrong thing, and from then on, he just went and did miracles and that's how he spread the gospel. That's just roughly the claim that I heard in the 70s. That, the, a movement called the Vineyard, with John Wimber, John Wimber, C. Peter Wagner. There are another number of people who made that claim. But here's what we need to always remember. The author determines the meaning, not the reader. And I can prove to you that Luke didn't portray Paul as failing. So I don't care what John Wimber said or C. Peter Wagner or anybody else. And they were saying, when are we going to do it? We better do our miracles, otherwise nothing will happen. So waste of time debating philosophy. No, that's not what we learned from this, and that's not Luke's point. Other false teachers said Paul never preached repentance. Repentance is only for the Jews. Repentance has no place in the gospel. And that, those people just attacked John uh, MacArthur mercilessly because they claimed he taught salvation by works. Well, we're going to prove that wrong too. Let's let the scripture tell us what we need to learn. I don't care who in our contemporary world thinks this, thinks that, thinks the other thing, what can we learn from Luke? Who was inspired by the Holy Spirit? Luke. Who determines the meaning? The Holy Spirit inspired writers. How do we know what Luke means? Luke acts as a two-volume work. What Luke is trying to tell us starts in Luke 1 and 2 and 3, those chapters, and it comes to conclusion in a beautiful way all the way through Acts, and we can learn a lot. So I don't care what John Wimber said. So let's go on. What would this idle babbler, you know, <laughs> babbler is the word <coughs> spermologos, which literally means uh, a, a seed collector. Um, let, me, let me cite my notes here. It's from sperma, seed, and lego to collect. A trifler, babbler, chatterer, who picks up and repeats trifling things, according to one of my dictionaries. It is said that the Athenians applied the same name to those who made their living collecting and selling refuse they found in the marketplace. So they called him a refuge collector. An idea here, an idea there. What's this guy? It's like uh, when eBay first became popular, where people made a lot of money 
going into rich neighborhoods, pulling stuff out of the garbage and selling on eBay. This is a similar idea to what some people would do here. Now, that's what they called him. And idle babble is not a bad way to say it. And others, he seems to be a proclaimer of strange deities. Now, strange deities is xenon diomion, demons, like, but it doesn't really mean de- demons in this context. Foreign divinities. Xenos. Uh, if somebody calls somebody else xenophobic, what do they mean? The foreigners, yeah, so it's the foreigners. So he has foreign deities. See, they had deities, the, the polytheists, that had a, a sphere of influence that was, you know, Artemis of the Ephesians. And they were very open-minded about which one you decide you want to follow. Okay? Artemis of the Ephesians. So, let's just see what he was saying. But, but why? Why did they call him that? Because he was preaching Jesus in the resurrection. But that is what he always preached. Don't listen to people that say Paul failed. That's that's just silly. Because Jesus in the resurrection and the other matters that, that come here that they should turn to him is preached throughout the the Luke Acts. Now who else preached Jesus in the resurrection? Okay. Um, how about Acts 4.2? Acts 4.2. Peter, being greatly disturbed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. Peter preached Jesus in the resurrection. Acts 4.33. The other apostles. And with great power... The apostles were giving testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and abundant grace was on them all. That's Acts 4.33. You want to jot that down. And they continued to preach Jesus in the resurrection. In fact, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is found in every sermon in the book of Acts. And that just needs to be Preached. Any comments on that? Anybody have something they want to say? I'll continue on. So Paul didn't change his message. Turn with me to Acts 17.30. Let's do a preview. Luke does previews and reviews, so I decided that would be a good way to teach. It really, really helps. Previews and reviews. Previews what's coming. Reviews what happened before. Yes. Hold on. Here it comes. It, testing. We're good. Okay. Yeah, it's on. If in a, um, after the fact, I think I've uh, preached or tried to share my faith in a stumbling, bumbling kind of way, and I'm down on myself, and I think horrible, but I think to myself, I'd rather do that than succeed at paganism. Uh, you bet. Better the truth spoken haltingly, but the truth, than eloquent lies. Can we agree with that? 
Apollos was the great speaker, the eloquent speaker. Then what did they say about Paul? Unimpressive. Doesn't matter. It's the message that has the power. So, good point. Well, there's, let's look at Acts 17.30, if you turn to that. Therefore, having overlooked the time, times of ignorance, God is now declaring to men that all people everywhere should repent. So he preached Jesus, the resurrection, repentance. Can you believe that teachers in our day claim that repentance has no place in the gospel? That repentance is only for the Jews? Les Feldig, was that him? I wrote an article about it. You wouldn't believe how I got excoriated and and rejected because I said there's one gospel and it's for Jews and Gentiles. And I still get contacts sometimes. You know, there's nothing so unbiblical that somebody won't teach it. Okay? Can I prove this? Yes. Part of the way they get by with that is they fail to point out that the word turn and the word repent can be used synonymously. Repent is metanoeo, and I think turn is epistrepho. Is that right? Is that right? That's right. I think so. And so does that work? Is there repentance everywhere? Well, he's preaching Jesus in the resurrection. He will preach repentance. And so that's consistently taught throughout Luke X. It's thematic. So it really doesn't matter what popular preachers say, but we need to learn from the Bible. So Luke tells us that Paul preached what Jesus told his disciples to preach. This is my notes. Doing so is not a failure. How many of you know it's not a failure to do what Jesus told us to do? Okay. Uh, Luke portrays, again, I have this in my notes, Paul is continuing the mission to the ends of the earth. The same message of repentance and the forgiveness of sins that was preached by the others. He also preached Christ in the resurrection as proof that repentance and faith is the only appropriate response. If Jesus is who he claimed to be, God incarnate, unless you believe that I am, you shall die in your sins, he said. And then, you want to give that mic to... Um, and if he did predict his own resurrection, which he did, okay, right? And he was raised before witnesses, which is claimed by everybody. Well, then that's our message. That's the proof. God is declaring that all men everywhere should repent. Why? Because he raised a man from the dead. So that's why I appreciate it. Yes, Brian. Reviewing and previewing in the book of uh, uh, Luke at, in Luke and Acts, uh, it was always, like, like you just named those verses, it was always the uh, uh, Jesus and the resurrection because elsewhere it was said that without 
the resurrection, everything else that they did was baseless and in vain. Yeah. Well, Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15 that if Christ was not raised, our faith is useless. Yeah, Eric, do you have anything to say about that? You look uh, anxious to say something. Is it on? It doesn't seem on. Oh, sorry. There. How's that? There we go. Hard to give gain to something off. Okay. I'm sorry. It's been no a while problem. since I've been here. <laughs> Think about the Epicureans and the Stoics. They want to deny any form of suffering, especially the Epicureans. But the biblical answer isn't that we try to deny or shirk suffering here and now during the last days, but rather the resurrection overcomes it. And the biblical message triumphs because the resurrection is always the answer. You one time said there's no problem that we suffer that the rapture won't solve. That's in, true. In the subsequent resurrection. And so it's interesting in, the, in, the, in light of the fact that these Epicureans are being preached to who always want to stay away from suffering. You have a man who's preaching to them who suffered more than most for the sake of the gospel, Paul. Right. And he's teaching resurrection overcomes it. That's the yeah, answer. Very good reading. Very good reading. Um, is exactly right. And so they're denying suffering, and here he's preaching a suffering Savior. And also, if you follow him, you will suffer. Yeah, exactly. In this world, you'll have tribulation. But we have good cheer. I've overcome the world. So if you just, we need to be very sober-minded. And as we've, and I've spent since the early 80s, studying different things written by Christians. It's just utterly confusing. If you think of what cells and what books are out there, what, what movements we've had, and um, most of which are really going off track in one way or another. The only thing that will get us back on track is Scripture alone. It's not starting a new movement and saying, now we've got a right, join us. It's the authority of Scripture, priesthood of every believer, search the Scriptures, be Bereans, and learn. It's a lifetime of learning. Honestly, it's the greatest thing you could uh, be called to, and all believers are, is to learn and to study because you'll never run out of things to learn. Okay? So Paul said, if we've hoped in Christ this life only, we're most men to, to be pitied or to be pitied of, any, of all men. How can you say your best life now? Not if you believe Paul. Okay, let's go on. What well, does Luke say that we should preach uh, repentance? Well, that's previewed in Luke. I, I'm going to do this just briefly. You can jot these down. This goes all the way back to the beginning. Luke 1.16. He will turn many of the sons of Israel back to the Lord their God. That was about John the Baptist, the forerunner. Luke 1.16. Luke 3.3. 3, about John the Baptist. He came into all the district around Jordan, pre- Jordan preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. John the Baptist. Now that, remember that one, because when we get to Apollos, he didn't quite get it right, but 
it comes back out. So the previews in Luke. Luke 5.32, if you want to jot it down on your notes. Luke 5.32, I have not called the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Jesus said that. Sinners to repentance. Luke 10.13, woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For the miracles have been performed in Tyre and Sidon, which occurred in you, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. By the way, that helps refute the idea that if people see enough miracles, for sure they'll come to faith. No. Seeing miracles doesn't cure the hard heart, does it? What about the soldiers in Matthew? They, they had closer contact with what was going on than the apostles who had run away in fear. Did they all come to faith? Oh, it's all true. Let's be Christians. No, they went and got money to lie about it. Now, how long is money going to last? If you ever have any. But for those that have money, it doesn't last long. And eventually, when you finally do have money, if you have it, you're old, you think, well, what do I need this for? If that ever happens, it does to some people, not others. But in the end, my dad told me that when he was in his, uh, in his 70s and sick. And he said, what, what do you need money for? Because I said something about they have enough money to pay the bills or whatever. And he looked at me. What do you need money for? That's not your job to make money. You don't need money. And I thought, you're right. What do I need money for? I'm going to just keep preaching. And uh, you can learn. You can learn. So that's what it said here. The, the soldiers, by the way, got the money, but they didn't get eternal life. So what good is it? Just a few more. Um, Luke 13, 3. I tell you no, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Jesus said that. Luke 13, 3. Luke 15, 10. In the same way, I tell you, there's joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Luke 24, 47. That repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to only the Jews. No, that's not what it says. I got the wrong version. I got the Les Feldig version. <laughs> the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all the nations. Beginning from Jerusalem. Luke twenty four forty seven. I'm going to jot it down. I know I'm going kind of fast, but I'll tell you this logo software is the biggest uh, time saver I've ever had when it comes to the Bible. So why not use it? So I pointed out, Peter said, repent, Luke 2.38. Acts 5.31, he was the one whom God exalted to his right hand as a prince and a savior to grant repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. That is Acts 5.31. Acts 5.31. Acts 11:18 When they heard this they quieted down and glorified God saying well then God has granted repentance to the gentiles 
or granted to the Gentiles also the repentance that leads to life. Previous critics of Peter. Why are you preaching to Gentiles? They said, oh, God granted them repentance. God saves Gentiles. Can you imagine that? Or Swedes or Norwegians or Germans or, <laughs> or anybody anywhere in the world. God grants repentance to those who believe. He's the cause. Acts eleven eighteen, I just re- read. Acts seventeen thirty, I read. Let's go forward. Acts twenty twenty one, solemnly testifying to both Jews and Greeks of repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. It's a preview. That's Paul to the Ephesian elders on his way back. Okay, and. Let's go to the end, okay? We started in Acts, or Luke 1, 2, 3, on forward. Let's go to Acts 26 toward the end. Acts 26, 20. Acts 26, 20. Paul to Agrippa says this. But kept declaring both to those of Damascus first, and also at Jerusalem, and then throughout all the region of Judea, even to the Gentiles, that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds appropriate to repentance, the same ideas that we found in Luke. Notice how he says it. Jerusalem, Judea, even Gentiles, and now he's on his way to Rome. So what Luke is telling us is that it all happened according to what Jesus said. Judea, uh, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. That's what Luke's telling us. I don't care what John Wimber said. I only care what Luke said. Because Luke was the one inspired by the Holy Spirit to write the Bible. I know I'm dating myself. When we do radio and, and YouTube videos, I'm always talking about all these guys from the 70s and 80s. But That's all right. Yeah, so Jessica goes on social media, which I don't have, and finds out somebody took the same ideas, made them into a new book, and they're repeated. They still sell. You still make money off the air. So it turns out to be the same lies. So, idle babbler was a seed collector. Literally, somebody went through the refuge to find something you could sell on eBay. Oh, they didn't have eBay, did they? So I thought Paul must have been some sort of a polytheist, but he was not. He was a monotheist who believed in the triune God of the Bible and had been sent by Christ. I think I showed you this. Without, this is the one without the caption. Oh, maybe this is a little different. And this is on verse 17 the marketplace. So here, the ruins of the marketplace where, according to the caption I have here, this photo taken by David Biven in 1964 shows the Agora. So there's the Agora. With, without the trees that today obscure the view, the Acropolis is vis- visible on the top left and Mars Hill and so on. In 1983, I was privileged to visit Athens. Uh, 
and to go up there. And at the time, they were having problems because the pillars were being eroded away by acid rain. And most of you are probably, well, I don't know how old everybody is, but if you're young, you've probably never heard of acid rain. And, but if you're old, remember that was the big thing that was going to ruin everything was acid rain. It was real because they burned coal and other things, sulfur dioxide, sulfur oxide, nitrous oxide, nitrogen dioxide, goes up into the air, the rain combines with these gases, creates sulfuric acid, nitric acid, which I used to work with in chemistry, and it was just corrosive, it was horrible. How come you don't hear about that? Because that was a solvable problem, wasn't it? You fix it, you clean it up, you get rid of those things, you don't have acid rain. So um, now they came up with something that you can't cure. Carbon dioxide. If we got rid of that, all the plants would die, we'd all die. So shame on you for curing a problem. We'll think of one you can't fix. All right, let's go on. That's my commentary. Quit breathing. Quit eating your house. Quit driving. Quit doing everything. We can't stand all these plants getting greener all the time because they love carbon dioxide. The plants do, that is. All right, on to the Hierapagus. They took him and brought him to the Hierapagus saying, may we know what this new teaching is which you are proclaiming. For you're bringing some strange things to our ears. So we want to know what these things mean. So far from being a failure, preaching Jesus and the resurrection got him a hearing. Now, here's something we're going to learn from this whole uh, pericope uh, of Paul there. And his speech is one of the longer ones, and I'll talk about that probably next week. We'll see. Um, we don't judge the validity of the message based on the outcome, whatever we might think that should be, how many followers we gain, how many people like hearing it. That's how we tend to think, but that's not how the Bible sees it. Some really bad people that didn't do very well, like Jonah, got a great outcome. And he actually didn't have a bad message. He just didn't want to preach it. <laughs> okay? I love Jonah. Jonah's a counter to almost most of the teachings you have on uh, prayer, church growth, success. Jonah didn't want to go. And after they all repented, he went over and God had a plant grow over him. He sat there pouting. What's wrong with you? I knew this would happen. Can you imagine the most successful evangelistic crusade in the history of evangelism? The entire wicked, pagan, godless, evil city repents and the preacher's mad. Go figure. 
That's why, you need, Jonah said, that's why I ran away. Down, down, down. So believe that God uses what he chooses to use. And Jonah wasn't portrayed in the book of Jonah as a very noble character. And remember, I read that passage where Jesus said, well, some of these places that you consider wicked, if the miracles that I did were done there, they would have repented. But you won't. Jesus did many miracles. Did that make everybody believe in him? Or made them want to stone him and get rid of him? So the message that's valid is the one God ordained and the one that he sent us to preach. So this is what happened. Very amazing. This is just utterly amazing. They took him to the Oropagus saying, what are you, gonna, what are you preaching? What, what's this all about? It's strange. It's strange. And what makes it strange? Well, it wasn't what the polytheists taught. It wasn't what the Epicureans taught. It wasn't what the Stoics taught. It was different. And it was the gospel of Jesus Christ. So what is this Arabicus? How do you say that? It's pronounced Areopagus. Good. What she said, that's the right one. I say Greek too, but I'm always just looking for what the word repent means and things. The Greek text here is ambiguous according to some notes I have here from a scholarly source. So it could be that Paul gave an address on the hilltop or that he appeared before the Athenian council elsewhere. The term Areopagus, is that it? It means hill of Ares. Ares, the Greek god of war, was equivalent to the Roman god Mars. So the hilltop was also known as Mars Hill. So now you know that. I think a lot of the Bible say Mars Hill. It's the same place. It's it's just the Roman version of the Greek word for this God of war. So Dr. Schnabel says, as the council questions Paul about the new teaching uh, concerning foreign ideas that he presents to the Athenians, it seems apparent that he was not arrested. Rather, he was being investigated concerning the foreign gods that he seems to be introducing to the population endeavor for which he may need official permission, end quote. So he's preaching what could be foreign gods. We want to know about it. There are so many gods. Why would they think about, okay, here's another one. Why were they upset about this? But he was asked to explain what he was teaching. Remember, providence is true. God is in charge, and he gets us to the right place at the right time with the right message. The people that believed in fate had a whole different doctrine. And providence isn't fate. The difference is providence as a Christian doctrine revealed in the Bible, such as in Romans 8 and elsewhere, is that a loving, personal creator God 
who actually cares about us, who created all things out of nothing, is actually bringing history forward with a purpose that some would be saved and that his eternal plan would come to pass and that there would be, in the end, a judgment. But it's not impersonal fate. It's not in the stars, so to speak. If you've ever been witnessing, you'll hear people say, well, I just put myself in the hands of the universe. But see, that's impersonal. That's what I said to somebody who told me that. The universe doesn't care about you. It's a marvelous thing to go up north and sit out on the dock and clear night and see what you normally never see in the city. But it should be declaring to us the glory of God, not that the universe is going to take care of me. It's a, it's a lie. It's a false idea. So this Europagus, er, <laughs> just spell it out, uh, according to Schnabel, is it could either be the administrative body of Athens or the place where they met and so on. But that's not really going to change our interpretation of this. So Paul wasn't arrested, but asked to explain what he was teaching. Now, what I want to do, I preached the last two weeks, and Eric preached. If you have things that come up during the sermon, I always like to get the outline page when Eric preaches and write things down. I got a pile of those. I want our material to be things that people can question. Neither Eric or I or anybody else here are saying, you have to believe it because we preached it. Okay? And so we want to be brilliant. And so if things come up that you think either aren't clear or maybe you you think I didn't read it right or Eric didn't read it right, I'm going to stop about a quarter or two, and I'll continue if there's nothing. But bring your notes and things you want to ask, and we'll give you time to ask it here. We got our tables back. We got our mics back. So if there's something that you just have to question or get a clarification on, bring it to Sunday school and ask, okay? Or even anything I've said so far. Otherwise, I'll just continue on. So if you, you don't have to do that, but if you want to know, get the printout that Christy makes available, jot down verses, questions, whatever, and then come to Sunday school in a quarter till we'll give you a chance to discuss it if you want to. But don't interrupt the sermon. <laughs> but you can come here and talk about it. We don't try to silence anybody, but the place to question is here. All right? So you may not have anything because I didn't mention it until now, but bring it along with you, and then we'll be here to answer. Any questions about, let's call this Mars Hill. I prefer things I can pronounce. I showed you this earlier. The Agora, Parthenon, Acropolis, the whole complex there, some of which is still standing. And I assume it's still there because we don't have acid rain now. Verse 21, Acts 17, 21. Now this is Luke's parenthetical comment. Now all the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there 
would spend their time in nothing except telling or hearing something new. It sounds like some of the things on the internet. Um, I'm so far behind. I, I wondered. I was wondering why I don't get emails. Well, uh, my daughter tells me people don't use that anymore. Okay, I feel better. I thought I was being rejected. <laughs> Bring the mic uh, to, over to uh, Peter. One sec. No, they'll want to, People will want to hear it. It's coming. So isn't this basically about debate in the public square? Yeah, it was a place where ideas would be exchanged. Now, this isn't a new, I mean, we have it in America, or we did. Now people get squelched and told they can't have certain ideas. There's the idea police out there now, but I know on college campuses, that was the place where you debate ideas. And uh, when I was at Iowa State, which is a school of farmers and engineers and so on for the most part, um, but we still had ideas to debate. And I was always the, in the minority opinion on things, but they let you debate it. And that's what people do. That's how they learn things. And so that's what the Greeks had. They had a place where people went and they had debated ideas. But after all of those de centuries of ideas being debated, here comes somebody with something new. Now, uh, this is very interesting. And I think Paul's using irony. I put that on my slide here. Or Paul, Pete, uh, Luke. <laughs> so they wanted to know about something new. He had a new teaching. But they were there because, according to Luke's parenthetical comment, that's what they did there. So what the irony is going to be is that when Paul preaches to them, he doesn't actually preach something new, but something older than everything else, the very creator of the world. There's an irony there. The oldest thing ever is the eternal God who existed for all eternity, non-contingent, as God, the triune God of the Bible, created all things out of nothing. And even some philosophers in our time have come to the conclusion that such a being must exist uh, because of entropy. Has anybody ever heard of entropy, what it is? And any student of... I studied uh, chemical engineering at Iowa State University, and the, the two laws... What's that? Entropy, entropy, E-N-T-R-O-P-Y. But we worked with the conservation of mass and the conservation of energy to do equations of chemical reactions. And the conservation of mass was much easier because if you had so much atomic material over here, 
and you had the tables, when you did your equation, you better have it over here somewhere. Or you didn't do it right, because it didn't disappear. You get a bad grade. But when you do conservation of energy, and we had tables that help you figure that out, but you don't get it all over here on the other side. Why? Because of entropy, small sigma. And the reason was you never get what you don't, there's no perpetual motion machine. The universe is dying slowly of heat death. Okay, there's always a loss of energy in a closed system. Now, here is what you need to know for witnessing about this. If the universe was eternally old, it'd be dead. Because it would have already died of heat death. And there'd be nothing. But something exists. They even questioned that. Remember the guy I think, therefore I am? Does anything exist? Well, I'm thinking. I guess something exists. Now, what about a closed system? Is the universe a closed system? It can't be eternally old. It does exist. It hasn't died of heat death. So what about the closed system part? Aha! There's the kicker. Maybe the universe as we observe it isn't a closed system and there's a non-contingent eternal being outside of this that created everything. Then you can have the universe. Right? Now, I, in the 80s, we used to watch VHF's tape of apologetics debates in our men's meeting at a church I was one of the pastors. And there was a very brilliant a philosopher who looked into all of this, scientist, and I can't remember his name. He came, came to the conclusion that God exists. And others have looked at the Bible and concluded that it was valid as well. And they said, so then why, why aren't you a Christian? Well, I believe there's a God, but it doesn't have to be the one you're talking about. And so that made me think, well, I think the doctrine of election might be true. How could you have all of the evidence and know about it and say, I don't want to believe? But some people do that. Eric and I had an unbelievably br brilliant teacher, Laurent Schultz. That's how we met each other. Uh, had it not been for Laurent Schultz, that's who God used, I wouldn't have met Eric. He called me and said, do you uh, ever heard of a Laurent Schultz? I said, yeah, he taught logic, and he was new when I was about to graduate. And that's when we met, to go uh, complain to the provost that this guy was teaching theology. And I critiqued some of his books in my book on emergent. But guess where he's at now? He is an atheist. He is a belligerent atheist. And he hates all belief in any kind of thing other than just there's no God. This is it. How can a guy who turns out to be an atheist that already had a very questionable philosophy be put in charge of the theology department? Eric, tell us, tell us how we, what answer we got. I want, to, I want you to tell a story from your perspective. I, I was an airline pilot and had just gotten into theology, so I thought, well, you know, Bob 
I heard him on the radio. I was driving an old car, if you don't mind me telling this story, and my antenna was rusting off. It was an airport car. But I would hear Bob on the radio, and I wanted to hear him so bad, I would have to put my finger on the antenna <laughs> to get reception. And then I'd get cold because it was like 20 degrees out. I'd have to sit on my hand and then drive. But that's how I found Bob. I called him one day, and I said, you don't know me from Adam, but there's a heretic at Bethel. And I said, I can't take it anymore. And Bob was so kind, he says, I'll be there Thursday. And that was it. And so we had a meeting with the provost. We had a meeting with the provost, and Bob brought in, he brought in his notebook. And on the notebook, it showed all the theology that he used to learn. And Bob said, you know what, he can't do that here anymore because you have, in essence, heretics teaching. Why don't we get back to that? And the provost looked at me and said, well, how much of your money do you want back? Right. Now, he, he went back on that. But he wouldn't give you the he money, give but, it, he, yeah. but, but he got rid of, of you, us. That's he wanted right. to get rid of us. <laughs> that's See, right. I was already graduated. I never admit, Eric. I brought my notebook. I had notebooks of each of the theology classes, all of the outlines, all of my notes, and that I studied like in 1994 or whatever. This is in two, what year? 2003? Yeah, uh, yeah, 2003. And so I brought the notebook, and that guy, I said, well, when I was here, not that many years ago, about 10 years ago, we studied the Lord's different doctrines of the Lord's Supper and what are the issues, baptism, um, things like that. And I, I just read, I just I was opening and showing it to him. Don't you think any of the students here now would like and need to learn these things? And when I did that, that's when he looked over to Eric. He looked away from me. He looked over to Eric. He says, how much of your money you want back? Which was basically saying, I'm not going to teach that. And it's not going to be taught in our seminary. So Eric left. I had already graduated and thankfully got a good education before it all crashed down. And so that's kind of how it is. So here's the irony as, as we get close to the end here. Please... Pay attention to this one. The something new that they really needed to hear about was something very, very old. The creation of the universe out of nothing by a sovereign, eternal God who revealed himself in time and space through his son. And he furnished proof to all people everywhere through the resurrection. And his son himself is the eternal creator, according to John 1. So rather than hearing something new to pass time, they will be faced with the need to repent. That's the profound irony and the glory of studying Acts. Okay, let's pray. Thank you, dear Lord, for your kindness and goodness. Thank you for caring for us. And thank you for what you've done. Pray for Eric. Did you give him words that would explain to us the truths that we need to learn and hear? And we thank you that we can fellowship together today. In Jesus' name, amen.